0: And we have this great role that God asked us to do, which was look after it, restore it, extend grace, help everything be that thing to the best of its ability. Here Yak. Oh, hey rhubarb. Oats. Yeah, it's me. Oats. Here Yak. Yes, hi rhubarb. In 1874, the British government passed a series of laws called the regulation of public worship.
1: What?
0: A lot of people cared an awful lot about church back then. True. On one side, people wanted more ritual and ceremony. Order. Order. On the other side, they wanted mostly none. Yeah. In the midst of the battle, one minister, a rector in London at a church called St. George in the East, had stopped a practice whereby people who volunteered in church services could avail themselves of liquor from the rector's cupboard before and after the service. The Reverend King closed the cupboard. We have opened it again. Welcome to the rector's cupboard.
1: Order. Welcome to the third episode of our Calgary Road Trip Series, Rector's Cupboard on the Road. On this episode, we visited Jeremy Clyde. Jeremy runs two businesses from his property a market garden called Little Loaves Farm and Alberta Yak Company, which he owns in partnership with his neighbor Jonathan. Jeremy gave us a tour of his farm, introduced us to the yak, and made us amazing yak tacos for lunch. As we walked across the fields and over electric fences, Jeremy talked to us a lot about how they got started farming in general and working with yaks in particular, which are relatively new to them. It was the perfect setting for great theological discussions. So come along with us and learn a little bit about yaks. I promise that you'll come away with something new.
0: And we just commuted from Calgary back and forth and we still do fairly often because I work in Calgary at the university, like I work off farm, right? well, oh, my family that farms does that too. So it's pretty normal, I guess. Um, so we've been slowly expanding the infrastructure as as we've had a need, right? And yeah. Try not to get more than necessary, because
1: right. it's you but know enough.
0: When we actually we put the deck on the house, I asked the architect I'm like, so how much weight can the deck take? Because if case. the yaks get out, they'll be on. Because we used to just have like the po- porches closed in now, but it used to just be an open porch, and they were out once, and I came in, there was like nose prints all over the front door. They were loitering on the porch, and I'm like, "Oh, oh come God. on!"
1: Are, are they like very inquisitive kind of creatures like that? Well, they are
0: very intelligent. They have a definite stranger danger thing going on. Fair enough. So they'll recognize me. They recognize and their like, vision's who, not. Who the hell are yeah, you? With? <laughs> I don't think their vision's great. If I don't have my hat on, if I don't have a hat on, I get skinny eyes. Okay. Oh, so they're like, really? is that oh, him? Is, is that the it, guy? The
1: silhouette isn't quite oh. right. Oh, it's
0: the guy. It's okay. Then if I start to talk, then it's okay. Yeah. Like when I have to move them, as soon as I stop singing here, yak, and their names, and the notes at them, <laughs> they stop following me. They figure that's where they're supposed to be. If I start up again, they just keep moving on the line they're on. So, so we've got this decent kind of routine working now, which is nice. If you want, we can stick a little tool yeah, through yeah, this Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So will open this. I tend to climb all the gates, so we'll just oh, avoid oh. opening. We'll we'll go this way. Sure. Uh, we feed through the side and the front. And the reason we do a lot of hand feeding in the winter, partly because we don't have a big tractor or skid steer, because eighty thousand dollars is a lot to spend on a piece of equipment to feed animals for a couple months, right? But also, it feels like, and I really think there is a reasonable amount of relationship building, if I'm feeding them with a fork, or my kids are, or my wife are is, sorry, Jonathan is, through the hatches on the hay shed. Yeah,
1: Because mm. they're right
0: there, we're with the hay. Yeah. Some of them let us pet them, they get yeah. used to yeah. us. The other ones who are skittish, everyone else close to us. We have a good chance to watch them walk and move, because yeah, it takes like an hour, right? So like, does someone yeah, have frostbite? Thing. Is there a problem with the joint? Like, you can sit there. Yeah. We've had very, very few
1: problems. Yeah. We got to learn about the temperament of yaks. They have some great personality traits and Jeremy and his family have really enjoyed getting to work with them. Relationships are very important and are foundational for how Jeremy and his family interact not only with the yaks, but with everything on their farm. They understand that they are one part of a larger ecosystem that all needs to have healthy relationships and work together in order to function well.
0: We discovered though too, these were cattle and we were doing work with a chunk of them right like say we knew we needed seven for auction well the seven isn't in this 30 animals i'm just going to stick this 30 animals because they're on this end of the herd i'll just go stick them in that paddock way over there and i won't worry about them they'll graze they'll be happy i'll take the last 30 or so we'll bring them into there or here and we'll sort them and figure it out so it does not work they're like where's the rest of the herd where's everyone else oh, you can't the first them out. the first 30 freaking out yeah. And the second 30, like, could not do anything. With it. Even try to use a truck, get a truck in. So, yeah. No, no, they turned on the truck. Really? They're like, you know what? No, hey. we're done with this. It's hot. We're not happy. Like, oh, wow, they're going to wreck the truck. All right, back up. We'll start again in the morning oh or in three hours, like, because they're just different, right? Yeah.
1: Can you tell us how you landed on yaks? They don't seem like a traditional animal for Alberta. <laughs> you hear a lot about. I know, right? A lot about um, I'm gonna like, stand horses, shade over here. a lot about ca- cattle and stuff. Right. But, but you guys have yaks.
0: So, we, two ways, I guess. There really is two factors. One is our friend Jonathan, who we knew from the farmer's market. He had yaks, and his bull wasn't getting on with his heavy horse. So, he needed a place to put them. Like, well, we've got lots of land. We can put yaks on part of it, cows on the rest. So, that makes sense, right? Because we had cows here, too. So, we brought his yaks up, and we started reading and researching on yaks. So they are originally brought over through the 1920s and 30s. Yaks were brought from China to North America and Canada and the U.S. to test out to see how they would do, right? Would they perform better, say, than beef animals? They brought them in and they did super well. Well enough, apparently, that the Cattlemen's Association lobbied to
1: stop the importation of yaks. Uh, So they did. Competition.
0: But if you think about yaks, right, so they've been domesticated probably by the time they came here for a couple thousand years. In northern China, North China Plain, Tibet, Mongolia, those areas, right? And they did everything. They were your main source of food, from dairy to protein. Mm -hmm. They're your pack animals. They lived with your family. You could ride them, you name it, right? And if... I like to think that if settlers, when they had come here and, um, you know, not been... I don't know, even like marginally less hubris and looked at the animals that were present and said... What do the locals eat for a herbivore that, you know, for a protein that has meat and that maybe could do dairy with some selective breeding eventually? Who knows, right? And domesticated bison. Because
1: yeah. kind of, yeah. that's yeah. what yaks that are, seem, right? Yeah, that would make sense. Like if
0: we domesticated bison, you probably would have had an animal that was slightly smaller because yeah. you don't know, need them so big, right? You want them yeah. easy to work with. <laughs> that was used to people, right? You'd keep breeding in the ones that were the tamest or the happiest to work with folks, all those things all the time. And then you'd probably have something like a yak. So what we found with the yaks was that, A, they need a third of the water and a third, and water's always an issue up here. Although we're lucky, our quarter actually has several spring fed dugouts. So even in the worst dugout, worst droughts, we've always had water. Okay. We might not have had much grass mm. or anything else, but we have had water for the animals. So that's been been a real blessing. But um, partly because we, we kept our forests and repairing areas most people on their quarters, they wipe out all their trees. Yeah. yeah. If you've got lots of trees, you've got texture. Texture helps drop humidity, helps drop moisture from fog, mm-hmm. helps drop moisture from rain and snow. Like,
1: yeah. it
0: Mar- also spreads it, right? And, yeah. and, and apart from, and like, especially the poplar and aspen that we have, they don't even really compete with the grass hardly at all. <laughs> and a lot of our grasses don't do well at 30 plus heat. Mm-hmm especially native grasses, right? They stop growing, especially if there isn't enough um, sort of layer of crushed grass on top to insulate the soil and it gets too warm. The Michael Hazel population will start to die off, all that microbial layer. And it doesn't grow much and takes a while to recover. So shade is fantastic. Great for the animals. It's better in the winter. So we've actually been working on bringing some things in. Now, cattle do have a tendency to browse trees pretty hard. Bite off new leaves, bite leaves, uh, you name it. Yaks, the yaks, totally don't do that. It could be because of their natural range. They're nice. above the tree line most of the time. Right. Yeah, we
1: don't yeah. eat that stuff. What is that thing? Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> Whereas they adore sedges. So all our wetlands, you see every time it gets, you see it gets kind of bushy and dark yeah. in there. Actually, yeah. mm-hmm. well, we'll just walk around this way. All those grasses in those areas, I mean, they're, they're mostly just sort of sedges. When we had cows here, the cows would not eat them. They would stomp through with their big feet and their bad posture. <laughs> and hummock it up, the grasses would go into senescence, they would stop growing actively, they would stop sequestering carbon, they would stop cleaning, they would stop doing anything useful, cleaning the water, making decent frog habitat, you name it. It was just this like, (laughs) I mean, it turns into a peat bog, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, all these tree dares are hoping to come back because we do have, we've got lodgepole pine, white and black spruce naturally, tamarack actually for a hardwood, which is cool. It's a Labrador tea, like the the, the fern stuff growing in there. But what we don't have, because of extensile cattle cattle grazing largely, just dumping cows out, is that first one to three meters of underbrush Mm -hmm. at all. And if you don't have that, what you don't have is you don't have any birds that nest in that bottom. You don't have pine martens, because you don't have rabbits and you don't have porcupines. You still get some skunks. But there's a whole population of small mammals yeah. and birds that use that for habitat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But those same animals interact with both the wetlands and the treed areas because they grew up together. They were designed to be in community, to, to work together, right? Mm-hmm. You have a diminishing so of so shalom. You right? Like you We always think it. of this yeah. idea for our farm of like you're trying to increase shalom, trying to increase the depth and breadth of life. Huh. Right? That's like... You know, you think, like, why do you farm? So, anyway, I get all distracted. But So what I was saying is the ax eat the sedges, which is awesome, and the cows didn't. And we had those hummocks removed. Lloyd, with a piece of equipment, helped cut a bunch of them smooth. And I was in there the other day checking them, and they haven't returned. The ax move differently when they hit wet ground as well. They have a different posture. So they don't wreck it. They can move through pretty soggy wet ground without compressing it in the same way. It's kind of neat. They've got skills, I guess. They also resist predator pressure extremely well. So we never have issues with coyotes, even during calving. Oh really? Uh, huh. large birds. Uh That's amazing. cougars, which are an issue How around do here. He do People have lost well, they pay attention to the environment around oh, themselves. Okay. Um, they group up really quickly. Okay. They form a
1: <laughs> like against the horses. Yes. <laughs> or, even
0: me if it's foggy and I'm not wearing my hat, they don't know who it is until I get really close. I'll come over a hill and there's like this mass and all like the calves are pushing it around to the very back like the muskox <laughs> or something, that huh. kind of idea. Wow. So they resist the predator pressure, they eat less, they don't damage the land.
1: So why don't more people farm yaks then?
0: Well, that's an excellent question.
1: Like, it it seems it costs less, it's better for the land, easier for predator resistance.
0: Sure. So when you're selling animals though, folks are like, I know what beef is, I will buy beef. (laughs) Yes. When you're trying to get help and learn how to do it if you haven't done it before, or your family's always done it in a particular way, Mm -hmm. you know cows. All the literature is for cows. If you're going to buy feed and feed supplements which is we, we don't but i guess if you're really stuck you'd have to right but we've thankfully never had to it's all geared for cows yeah. equipment is everything is cow everything. sales channels is, is cows i can raise you know a hundred head and i can auction them off i can buy a bunch on auction feed them for two months and probably sell them back at a bit of a profit mm-hmm. i'm not getting much per pound for my animals right. right probably not at the end of the day maybe making any more money than someone with yaks but I have to direct market all the acts, right yeah okay. we have to have especially you know here it's pretty tough to get inspected kill and sale and we can't be on farm and all these things so mm. that process is a bit onerous so you have that so uh, the sales channels are really awkward nothing is designed for it right kind of require a bit of a culture shift because like you said people know what beef is right now like yeah from a consumption perspective right but a consumption yeah I always think of yak as the beefier beef. <laughs> it's, it's The umami of the meat is very, very much like beef. I mean, there are some folks who tell me they taste the difference. We'll start, we might as well head over and see the yaks. I guess That'd we're not in the awesome. sun any longer than necessary. Any way you handle beef, you can handle yak the same way.
1: As we traipsed through the fields toward the herd, we got a bit distracted by some strawberries. These are Alpine strawberries, tiny berries that absolutely covered the fields. I'd never encountered them before. They were amazing. You <laughs> see, we've got
0: tons of strawberries though. Whenever they do that, the, the alpine strawberries take over. These are all strawberries, and they have little pin. Oh, well, we've got some. They have little pin-sized strawberries on them. I was eating oh, some is that the what other this day. Is? is there a strawberry on it? Yes, yes. You should eat it. They're super amazingly this is intense. These are
1: like the tiniest. But like... they have
0: they have all the flavor of a big strawberry. Oh my gosh! I can keep my kids busy for like an hour, which is hard to do with small children.
1: Oh my goodness!
0: See? Really? Crazy, right? It's
1: so delicious. It's like jam. Okay. Oh, I found oh, another it? one. Oh brilliant! The tiniest little thing. Oh my goodness. It's Crazy, It's so intense. Right? But back to the yaks.
0: We've gotten better understanding when they're saying no and yes and what mm. their body language is trying to communicate.
1: Mm.
0: We've only really had a few, like we had one that was quite aggressive and unpredictable. Her name is Narwhal, you'll see her. Um, she lost a horn. Another one's growing in. Nice. Yeah, another one's growing in now, so I don't know. She's less Narwhal than she used to be. But um, she lost a calf and in that year she was a nightmare. More than once she'd be I'd be trying to close a gate and she'd come at me and push the gate back. I'd be trying to unroll a bale and I'd have to like bail over the fence or use a stick like she was not emotionally okay. Like I think she was pretty hurt by the experience, and I think it was either her first or second calf. And then the year after she had a calf, and this year she's got a calf, and she's a fantastic mom. And speaking of predator pressure, they do some things that are really cool. If I move the herd, especially amongst the experienced moms, when you watch the herd, all the new calves, even as they get older and they're in a little pack and they're running around, they always have babysitters with them, which are quite often really? some of their siblings. So it'll be a yearling or a two-year-old okay. with that group of little ones.
1: So it really is a sense of community and, amongst them. And
0: since we don't actively wean them, you'll get t- You'll see them lying down napping together and you'll get like the mama and her two-year-old daughter and her yearling and the calf. Wow. And a little yeah. family group. So the community thing seems like this ongoing theme because we... Tried, I tried to do more intensive grazing and group them up more, a little more like Marcus does but mm-hmm. they sp- the yaks spend a lot less time actively grazing than cattle
1: okay,
0: and more time digesting which is maybe why the digestion is a little more efficient. They only mm. spend about 20, 15 to 25 percent of their time actively eating.
1: The yaks came into view. We weren't there yet but we got our first glimpse of them.
0: So there they are. Oh. I'm trying to think the best way over to them. They got a few options maybe we'll go by a shade my wife and i really started farming um, she has no farming background i think the fact that i had some claim to some sort of farming background gave her a level of confidence yeah. <laughs> in my efficacy that was probably oh, not reasonable but
1: <laughs>
0: my own overconfidence and self-efficacy kind of, you know, compensated for that or at least it matched it <laughs> so we're on the same page <laughs> Really, because we started working with uh, doing food security stuff and food sovereignty. Uh And then we realized you can't really um, deal with food sovereignty and security issues, whether they're in Canada, within cities or First Nations or rural populations, or globally without also dealing with environmental issues. Mm -hmm. Because those who suffer the hardest impacts the environment, those areas that aren't valued and over-abused, you name it, Right are the ones that tend to undermine food sovereignty as well mm. when that's done to them. So we started working, doing stuff with the Pro- Anglican, Primates World Relief and Development Fund, which is sort of the Anglican's way of engaging with uh, the Canadian Food Grains Bank and that sort of thing. And Then we started doing more creation care stuff, like Rod, Marcus, and I together. We did a conference in Calgary, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And, I don't know, we, we kind of... Started to realize that it was this awesome opportunity to uh, almost like I don't know, be missionaries to do evangelism. Yeah. So I used to mm. grow up yeah. giving skiddy eyes to missionaries, like they were folks yeah. who couldn't get a real job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> and uh, you know, Rita, my wife, always felt like at some point, so what happens when you start up the Alliance Church. You have to go on missions at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. wasn't terribly keen on that. But yeah, so we realized that there was like this great way to like extend grace and have an act of service for God and the kingdom. That wasn't evangelism. Yeah, Hmm. well, that was doing traditionally. Yeah, right. But was doing something else different that we really liked, and that was because I mean, frankly, I mean, we're not. I mean, we're not misanthropic or anything, but we're not like (laughs) crazy extroverts.
1: Amen. (laughs) I can get behind that.
0: But it was tough because like like even even evangelical churches stuff and when I was doing things on campus, it was all about having like your, the story of how you came to know God. And I'm like, man, I just grew up in the church. I got like nothing exciting here. (laughs) I was baptized as a baby and I still think that's not unreasonable because when I think about what I know now versus what I knew when I was 18, what I knew inherently or in response to the Spirit as an infant... Yeah. I don't know. That was probably that might uh, be more. I don't know much if it's more. more is it? yeah. yeah, more or less. I have no yeah. idea. But, but in terms of an like from an epistemological point of view, right? In my way of creating a reasonably justified truth, I'm pretty sure a baby experiencing God the Spirit versus my with all my other yeah. ideas later isn't that different. With your pile of books, right? Yeah. So you know, like okay, cool. All of a sudden, we have like an act of reason to be Christian. Huh. Like God has a job for Aww. us. We get to be in relation with God, and each other, and our, our church, and, and everything else God has done. Because you look at what we were meant to do, you look at, at for us, we're like it's all about relationships. You look at the Genesis and the creation story, it's all about what everyone's relationship is. Yeah. You have yeah. a naming of an animal, and what is a name? A name is a full, full, complete knowledge of a thing, which is also another way of loving a thing, right? Yeah. Love is knowing it completely. That's what Adam's doing. And what are they doing? They're God's presence on earth, right? Put in a temple. I mean, so a lot of that is, I think, figurative language to make sense to an initial audience, but what it is describing is a relationship of service with the rest of creation. I mean, people talk about nature and wild spaces and stuff, and I tend to prefer talking about creation versus straight up nature, because when you talk about nature, you have that dichotomy of nature versus culture. Right. Okay. But it's humanity, we're animals. We are part of every ecosystem we're in we've almost always impacted them ideally for better and sometimes yes right for better be increasing a depth and breadth of life So I prefer to say something like creation because then it puts everyone in the same group and kind of makes some rules a little clearer Mm -hmm. So and we have this great role that God asked us to do which was Look after it restore it extend grace help everything be that thing to the best of its ability and not to the detriment of other members, right? And I think with patience and humility, um, we can do a reasonable job of that. But, hey, John. Yeah, you see us.
1: I heard you grunting. Um, Is that his way of saying, I, I've noticed you're here?
0: And I want some oats. That was an ah. oat grunt. That was an grunt. There's like, I can tell a few different grunts. There's a, where's my baby grunt? Where's my mama grunt? There's like calling your kids grunt. There's the (laughs) I want some oats grunts. There's some go away.
1: (laughs) Okay, so these are friendly grunts we're hearing. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay.
0: Back to why do folks don't do yak and do cattle? Because there are lots of solutions you can buy that help you do things in the time that you have, which isn't often as much as you would like. Mm -hmm. And almost all those aren't terribly regenerative. They don't create right relationships. So if you're looking at the farm Just thinking to solve that problem. Yeah. So if you're looking at the farm thinking for our farm and our family and our friends and our lives, does this technology, this relationship with someone else, right? Say Marcus and Rod or Lloyd yeah. or John, or this piece of technology like what we buy for a, a truck or a skid steer or something else, or this practice of handling grass or grazing, do these things encourage Right relationships or discourage them. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Finally, after many fields, crossing a pond through some trees, we reached the herd.
0: Um, oh, wow! So they've grouped up because they don't know oh you gosh. three.
1: Yep. So I'm
0: going to wow. see if I can get three of them to come over and say hi. Here, yak. Oh, hey, rhubarb. Oh my gosh, look at this. Oats. Oh, my Yeah, it's goodness. me. Oh. Yes. Hi, rhubarb. Here, yak. (laughs) Brownie, rose, John, jewels. Here, yak.
1: So is this John that's leading the herd?
0: Nope, that's, uh, that's Brownie. She's the, it's always one of the cows. That's the boss.
1: Really? Awesome. Yeah. Matriarchal.
0: <laughs> and she's a boss. Like there's times when we had uh, people wanted to come to buy, so I'm showing them to them and the rest of the herd's in a down, low, cool area, but they could hear us. So she came up over the hill with like four or five other like a little posse, came down fairly close, looked at us for a bit, realized it was me, Disappeared over the hill, and then everybody came.
1: So this is John.
0: This is John. So
1: the who big guy named, in the herd. Who was
0: named after Jonathan, or uh, the other guy we share the herd with. They have half the mm-hmm. herd. Um, so some of them have like may.
1: curly hair on, on their faces.
0: Yes, and some it's kind of straight. And yeah. some have like this weird surfer hippie cut where it's like <laughs> right down past <laughs> their eyes. I feel like they should grab a hoof and like hold their oh, hair up off their like face. Oh, like white. And... Yeah, those are royals. Um, they seem to be the most emotionally, uns- like when it comes when we're <laughs> stressing the herd and pushing them, oh. they seem to be the most uh, emotionally like, non-resilient.
1: So they stay out all year then?
0: Yeah, they don't need, they're good, appara- according, according, according they to the research, toasty. they're good to minus 64. Should we start? What?
1: Should we start heading back? Jeremy spoke to us about some of the benefits of working with yaks, and although he compares them to potatoes, I think you'll see soon that Jeremy holds potatoes in very high esteem so it's quite the compliment for the yaks.
0: But I mean they're, compared to like a I mean and there's nothing quite as glorious as unhilling a hill of potatoes. I mean it is just mm. so fantastic. You put mm. one potato away and there's like a dozen potatoes mm. and they're fresh and they're fantastic. But apart from like the boost that that gives you, um, hanging out with the yaks, yeah. listening to them crunch oats or grass, yeah. Like, the mental health benefits are awesome. Like, people talk about, oh, we should, you know, get rid of grazing and, I don't know, do vat meats or veggie meats or whatever. And, and they keep coming up with all these solutions for climate and stuff that don't have anything to do with the relationships that farmers have with their piece of land and their animals and their families and their mental health. I mean, the benefit of hanging out with yaks is, like, palpable.
1: Yeah. Like They're beautiful. And they're
0: delightful. And... Sometimes they can be quite kind yeah. and, you know, like they're just, yeah. It is sort of a healing time and being able to have a relationship with them has been really nice. We, we care about them. They're like our co-workers. Yeah. But unlike my co-workers at the university, these co-workers do get particularly annoying because one who is a total <laughs> fence crawler is up for an on-farm kill in a week or two. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like the kill things, people like, you know, I, I, Pointlessly at yeah, one point before I gave up on Facebook. I got in a conversation with Someone on oh, Facebook no. who was going on about how can you be Christian and say you care about animals
1: And then kill and them and
0: kill them especially these ones you love. I'm like well oh. And I was trying to explain the fact that they're mortal just, like, like, we just are. like I'm mortal yeah. and yeah. Death is a whole part of the deal. So we try to make that death as reasonable as possible
1: mm-hmm. We try
0: to ensure they have the best life up to that point as possible certainly probably better than a wild one would be in many cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I don't know, right? <laughs> like, but I think quite often, I mean, it is, it is tough and it's a jump when you have to do it. You never enjoy it. And I do hunt too for the same reason, just because it's like a reasonable way to get meat and there's so yep. many deer and nothing's hunting mm-hmm. them anymore. So a whitetail out here and, and then we can sell the yak, but it's never, you might have some joy at a good shot from a skill point of view, but I really don't like the rest of it. I enjoy the technical aspect of butchering, and I enjoy the cooking. I love the culinary part of all of it, the access to good food.
1: We made our way back to the house for the aforementioned tacos and went through the garage, which houses most of their farm equipment. It's all quite small for farming equipment, partly due to the size of their farm, but also because of how they choose to work their farm. You'll pick up on jeremy's love of potatoes in this next section and the first Mm. time we got to
0: cook with this new meat yeah Yeah. Yeah. and that was so awesome or when we started growing our own potatoes i'm like i'm now using the right potato variety for a pierogi or for gnocchi Ah. or like for Ukrainian. and so you're like using the right potato for the right or for a bake but like a purple viking for a baked potato because the moisture levels are high and it steams they could be almost as big as a as a small dinner plate without even any hollow heart in them Mm. and it's like, oh, you have other ones that are so intensely potatoey They make the best potato chips, like an Irish cobbler. It's perfectly round, like a little baseball, and it makes perfect potato chips. Yeah. Oh, and gosh. it's intensely potato is doesn't need anything else. And you're just like, yeah. you know, this is like blowing my mind. The amount of joy and engagement and imagination that is just sitting in creation
1: yeah. for us
0: if we take some time to have a relationship with it. Yeah. Like a mutually beneficial relationship.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's kind of what we're doing, right?
1: There's so much attention to... Detail. Oh, that's what yeah. makes
0: it, this makes it fun. Like, I always figure you should only grow. Uh, we don't really grow anything. You should only care for husband and, I guess, help flourish those things that you like, right? Like, there's no point. Like, Rod grows fantastic spinach and salad greens. Mm. I used to go out work with him. We'd be driving around a couple times. And he's, like, just eating salad greens as a snack. Yeah. I mean, apart from Rocket and Arugula, where it's kind of peppery, or if I'm taking my lettuce leaf and I'm putting, like, Vietnamese or Korean meat and rice fillings into it. I have like very little interest. I'll take a beet leaf and I'll wrap it around, or a cabbage leaf, some, you know, to make halap of some type, right? With buckwheat or rice and ground beef, but in a salad? Eh, so (laughs) zero interest in that.
1: We need both. We need need rods and we need germ. And that's
0: why I don't grow lettuce. I've never grown greens. I've grown beans. I love beans.
1: Beans are delicious. I've grown
0: peas and I love dry peas. I've grown dry peas. Mm -hmm. And potatoes, like okay, fine. It's very meat and potato. We can figure I have yaks and we've grown potatoes. But there is so much varietal difference in potatoes, like in the Mm -hmm. taste and on the palate, and in texture, and for cooking. That just climbed the potatoes it's a shame. Like you go to the market, like what do you do? These are? these are yellow potatoes. Wow. I just want to yeah. assault other farmers. Yeah. In it's <laughs> such a crime to the potato, but it is a crime to that relationship because people in Latin America, particularly with the case of potatoes, right. or people with sheep or cattle. Look like at cattle now, right? Our yaks. Yeah. We've only in 10 years we've had to assist in one birth because the calf came out with all four hooves stuck.
1: Cool. we've
0: never we never have to intervene intervene with calving with cal- with the axe because we haven't pushed their size up we haven't messed with them mm. we have a relationship
1: you let them be what they're meant to be
0: with these animals mm-hmm. and these plants and we glory in it mm. like when we grew we grew rye the first time to make a market garden we had to take out the prairie grass and rye suppresses seed germination from other plants that aren't rye
1: mm.
0: so we planted rye we thought well let it stay until we harvest it. And we're going to harvest it. We thought, well, I don't have a sickle bar mower yet or anything to cut it, and I want to be able to stook it so I can thresh it. Because we have had the treadle powered, well, you know, Amishy thresher thing instead of the big one we have outside now. We got volunteers together. Bishop Greg even from the diocese showed up, I think for a photo shoot, so he could stand there with the side. his purple <laughs> <laughs> shirt. He did cut a little bit though, so I shouldn't be too hard That's on Greg. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're, we're cutting that. And you can hear this constant snick of the size cutting the hay as we work up the field. There was so often someone, as you should, steps out to keep it sharp. Like, they're pretty easy to use, as long as they're really sharp and you've got the right rhythm, Maybe you're using your body right, of course. None of us are great at it, but we were mm-hmm. adequate. But I stopped to sharpen, and there was this buzzing, and at first I thought it'd be like mosquitoes or something, because normally if I stop and I hear <laughs> ambient buzz, it was bumblebees. Because there was no other clover left on the farm at this point, because of an early frost. The only blossoms left on the whole farm, basically, had been, and they were dense and heavy, just like when I intentionally planted the clover, was clover in the base of that rye. Yeah. So,
1: so its so growth hadn't been
0: suppressed by the rye. Soon as we cut the tall stand and moved the rye off it, the bumblebees had access to this last final massive feast before winter. And I was like, you know what, this is blowing my mind because we have this great opportunity to be in community and have this fun kind of farm lunch and stuff mm-hmm. with people who are out here helping. Yeah. And we're going to, like, everything we sell, the money's off to Canada Food Grains Bank, so there's a blessing there. There's so all these blessings already. And it's going to give us a market garden. And that's a huge blessing, and that's delightful. And this is using a this that's fun. And now, even yeah, the bees, the right? It was like there's just, yeah. there was, like, no end to it. Even though it only kind of planned on, like, one thing. I guess because yeah. there was space for the rest of it? I love that. Yeah, really nice, yeah. And the small-scale equipment means you can notice it, too. If I'd been using the sickle bar, I probably wouldn't have seen them. It'd be yeah. too loud. And I'd have mm-hmm. moved on at that point, right? Mm-hmm. If I was sitting in a tractor, you wouldn't notice any of it. Mm-hmm. You would miss all those relationships.
1: And then Got we moved these. to lunch. We're going to take these outside and we'll
0: keep yeah. the... There's a glass of water for...
1: It was nice. delicious. Should you ever find yourself in a position to try yak, we would highly recommend it. That is
0: incredible. Mm. See, beefy beef. right? Yeah. It's yeah, That's not, not my imagination. Yeah. It still like, tastes like you beef, could just but throw like this oh, to somebody,
1: and they wouldn't know it wasn't beef. No, they would just they would go, just this like is really good, good, good beef. beef. Yeah. hmm mm. oh, so Lunch led to more theological conversation about some of the downfalls of individualistic theology. Was well, the
0: worst theology though? Right, because mm. it's like, uh-huh. it's like creation doesn't matter. It's super yeah. selfish.
1: Super it's all about
0: self. your individual self there's yes. nothing community to be about it so how do you have like then how do you handle sin and forgiveness if everything is individual because we have corporate sin how do i avoid not engaging in environmental degradation by burning it's fossil really fuels and it's super boring because i'm saved now and i've bought the right <laughs> stuff and i'm going to sit around <laughs> and try to get other people and the try not team. to back well no maybe maybe not that's hard that's the big thing is not backsliding yeah where they get scared mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, it's terrifying. the whole story of faith is of fear and shame right yeah. if i watch yeah. the wrong thing what'll happen if those people read the wrong thing what will happen happened? it's so mind-blowing and horrible there's a great there's,
1: there's got to be a better way right? Well, there is. Yes. And
0: I think it's mostly creation care, but it's probably because I'm just not really called to work with folks directly all the time. <laughs> I always kind of wish there was a decent network, though, and I, I don't have the energy to make it, so it may never happen, but I always kind of wanted a decent network of uh, Christian farmers, mm. but not like farmers yeah. who happen to be Christian. Exactly. Mm but people mm. who are intentionally engaged in creation care. These yeah. and, and not necessarily folks who are just engaged in creation care, but are also farming, because there's a lot they of stress it. and disappointment and mental yeah. health issues. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's hard not to, to grieve down. and get run down by climate change. Like, when it hit yeah, 39 sure. out here the one year, and that was bad, because, like, uh, the, the YYC growers almost collapsed that year, and one of our other farm mm. friends, Daniel, his farm, came to an end because of the drought and the heat and everything. And watching the acts suffer, and it was pretty horrible. Mm. And the church had nothing. They had no answers. No. None of the groups I worked with, so those are Canadian Food Grains, Bank, Peridograff, none of them had any, any answers for anything here, right? Like, oh, we'll only work with farms overseas and whatever, right? What well, about small farms here and what the stress?
1: On the secular and sacred divide.
0: Wendell Berry's idea of there being no sacred
1: yep.
0: and unsacred yep. spaces, yes. all spaces are sacred. Yes. So you have sacred and defiled spaces. Yep. But that allows for restoration, right? So in like ecological ethics, you get this idea of, can you have restoration? Can you bring something back to a wild state? Mm. Well, probably not once yeah, it's ruined. It so you could almost good argue good. you can just leave those spaces and protect others as entirely wild, because that's sometimes the argument, right? But I think the Christian well, argument yeah. is a better one, which right, is yeah. way more participatory for yeah. us. And it is, yeah, well, we're to bring them back into right relationship with God. Yeah. And what are those right relationships look yeah. like? Depth and breadth of life, which we can quantify as biodiversity, but, I mean, I don't know, our thought's just too oppositional, right? Like First Nations thought, you can actually have spirituality and science. You can have multiple epistemologies that we would treat as oppositional, Mm Yep. Coexistent, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's not like you have a spiritual knowledge of a site and an emotional knowledge of a site and an empirical scientific knowledge of the site, right? Whereas your actual knowledge and understanding of it is created by all those mm. things. And that I think that complexity is what's supposed to be, right? Yeah. I mean, and actually, do Christian care? I mean, it does require, I think, a, I don't want to, a nuanced or complex or willingness to live with ambiguity around how you read scripture, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: But, I mean, former Archbishop Rowan Williams has this great yep. thing when he talks about scripture, about how it should be read. He talks about the Bible is... It is not your roadmap and, you know, how-to to Christianity. It is a narrative of the Christian people and people at general and creation's relationship with God. Wow. All right. So God does have a place for Rita and I. Yeah. Mm. And we get to work with God on something. Yeah. It's way better than just being, like, a spectator. Yeah. yeah. He's going to work through me, and I'm not... He, it, God's going to work yeah. through me, and I'm not going to, like do anything, I'm just going to let it happen, or like some non-participatory, yep. like I'm an object, I'm not an agent, right, in any of it. Whereas with the creation care, coming to realize that? And I'm sure it's different for other folks in other ways, right? But at least for us, like farming and the creation care, caring for the woodlot, the you land could, has opened could, up the, the ability to do everything.
1: We wrapped up our conversation with Jeremy, picked up some yak, and headed back to our hotel.
0: This was awesome. Thank
1: you, everyone. What do you mean, thank you? you? (laughs) you.
0: No, this was so good for me. It's funny, I was thinking, I don't know if I really want to do this, because I've done this in ages.
1: Since we've gotten home, we've had a lot of time to reflect on our trip. First of all, we're so grateful for the hospitality that we received at every stop. Everybody was generous with their time, with their products. If you find yourself in the Calgary area, look them up. Happiness by the Acre, YYC Growers, Alberta Yacht Company. We have so much to learn from them about how to be in relationship with creation, about letting creation be what it was made to be, working with the land, the animals, about the lived realities of climate change. While we can approach all of these things from a non-religious perspective, for those who profess a Christian faith, in some of these approaches, we can see a corrective to an understanding of faith which would seek to lead creation by dominating it, imposing its will on the land, a corrective to an understanding of faith that understands the individual separate from the community. The relationships that are at work in our world cannot be severed without great repercussions, and we can see some of the natural consequences when creation is not allowed to be what it was created to be, when we do not seek for depth and breadth of life for all of creation. We were given so much hope from our trip this summer. There are things that can be done, Marcus has demonstrated that farming can be done in a way that puts carbon back into the soil while raising livestock. Rod showed us hope for soil regeneration and Jeremy about how an entire ecosystem can work together. This does not diminish the reality of where we find ourselves in terms of climate change, but there are ways in which we can actively participate in some correctives. As Jeremy describes, we have agency we are so grateful that there are people who are farming in these ways, thinking in these ways, who feel compelled towards this from their deep sense of calling. So once more, thank you to Sarah, Marcus, Rod, and Jeremy and Rita, and thank you, our listeners, for listening. Rector's Cupboard is a production of Reflector Project and is hosted and produced by Todd Weeb, Allison Williams, and Amanda Mina. Our Cupboard Master is Ken Bell. Rector's Cupboard is made possible by the generous support of donors. Check out rectorscupboard.ca for past episodes, events, and how you can help fund the podcast. You can also support Rector's Cupboard by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, which helps other people find us. Thanks for listening.